You're listening to E-Commerce Fast Lane, episode 65. Welcome to E-Commerce Fast Lane, the podcast show to help you build, launch, grow, and scale a wildly successful e-commerce company. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. Learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your Shopify store. And now, your host and e-commerce entrepreneur, Steve Hutt. This episode is brought to you by Caro, the number one Shopify app for influencer marketing. Caro is a Shopify app that discovers all the influencers who are your brand's customers, email subscribers, and fans. Now imagine an influencer with a million followers was to make a purchase from your Shopify store. Would you know about it? Caro makes sure that you do. And unlike other influencer platforms, Caro is built for trust and transparency. And they help you find influencers that are genuinely interested in your brand so that you're not scrolling through countless social accounts just to find the right partners. Let Caro do the heavy lifting and find influencers that are best for your brand. And Caro also helps you execute your influencer marketing every step of the way. They make communication and product distribution easy so you can pick the right influencers and create meaningful partnerships. And right now, Caro is free for all Shopify stores. So why not try it out and see who you find? Now, after you install the app, Carol will alert you whenever a new influencer engages with your brand so that you can communicate and continue to build your list of influencers over time. To get started, you can visit getcaro.com or you can search for Carol in the Shopify app store. That's C-A-R-R-O and discover which influencers already love your brand. Hey there, it's Steve, and welcome back to the e-commerce fast lane podcast. Now, if this is your first time listening. This is an e-commerce show where we have honest and transparent conversations about building and thriving online with your store powered by Shopify or Shopify Plus. New episodes are available each week with your favorite podcast player through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or you can sign up online at ecommercefastlane.com to be notified when a new show is being released. Now, my guest on today's episode is Derek Haney, who is the founder of e-commerce tech, and he works to connect Shopify e-commerce merchants with the right tech tools and partners to grow a Shopify store. And he's going to talk about the tech stacks, um, how to vet software vendors, and how to successfully roll out new tools uh, for your Shopify brand. This podcast, I believe, is perfect timing as we lead into Q4 and the busiest time of the year for most Shopify brands. So thanks, everyone, for listening in today. Uh, Please enjoy. So hi, Derek. Welcome to e-commerce Fastlane. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, My pleasure. You know, I mentioned it briefly at the top of the show, but in your own words, um, on a high level first, what does e-commerce tech do and what problem uh, does it aim to solve for Shopify store owners? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I kind of noticed, um, I've worked both in-house in e-commerce and in e-commerce tech. And I noticed that a lot of e-commerce stores don't really have a great process for vetting and finding the right technology partners and solutions for their store. They kind of realize they have a big problem. Maybe it's customer service. Maybe they're trying to increase their average order value. And then they just go around hunting on the internet 
they plug in the tool and they, you know, maybe it's haphazardly or they haven't really taken the time to look at the landscape of all the options. And of course, that's really tough to do as a store owner because you're juggling a hundred different things and technology is for some reason, it just comes in as an afterthought for a lot of people. So I thought, I kind of have experience in this space. I, I think that we can um, we can bridge this gap, give people the advice and, and strategic know-how on how to vet and bring in the right technology vendors and, and do it a little bit in a more thorough and meaningful process to ensure that it delivers the result. Because all of these tech tools, you know, they promise more revenue, they promise you know, the great results. And at the end of the day, the tool is the hammer and the person wielding the hammer is the one that's going to make it valuable. So if you're not ready to invest or if you don't even know how to, let's say, you know, create an upsell using an upsell tool as a random example, mm-hmm. then you're, you're not really going, you're, you're, you're going to pay a lot of money for a tool. It's going to fall flat. You might even blame the vendor that their solution isn't a great solution. It doesn't work for me. I've heard that a hundred times over, <laughs> but the truth is you didn't have the resources. You, you didn't have the education. You implemented it too early. Maybe you implemented too late or for the wrong reasons. And so that kind of got me started in building out e-commerce tech. We do a few different things. Uh, the first is consultations with merchants. Um, we review tech products on our site and try and get people to the root of whether they should use it or not in five mm. minutes or less mm. for each uh, vendor. So we do these video recaps. And then we do a lot of events, virtual and live events to educate e-commerce stores further and keep this process going centered all around technology and advancing and growing the store. Yeah. And I've actually uh, shown up actually to a couple of your uh, virtual events, just when you get other tech partners that are, I'd call them the usual suspects that tend to um, have quite a few vendors uh, or merchants uh, using their solution and they've got great stories to tell. And they also have a great platform and some case studies. And I think it's nice that this is what you do is like, I think a lot of brands and Shopify store owners tend to work in a little bit of a bubble uh, where you're suggesting that, hey, it's not just selecting the most popular one because maybe it's too expensive or they just don't have the internal resources to manage it. But there might be another uh, lower cost, lower performing, but better than nothing solution. And I guess you open the kimono, so to speak, and show, well, you know, if we're looking for a better email service provider, let's say, for example, yes, here's all the the major ones, but here's a couple that you may want to consider that does loyalty and email together because you don't have either of those things working. And I think that's very noble. That's what you're doing and, and educating. Uh, merchants on this. Yeah, well, the goal is absolutely to show the landscape in a very transparent fashion. Uh, we 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 look to keep an agnostic viewpoint, present the options, and let the store owner make the decision. We help narrow the options, we help educate them, so we streamline the vetting process, which you know can can take months for things like advanced CRMs. I've seen in my own e-commerce when I was in-house for mm-hmm. an e-commerce brand, um, you know, two months to vet and and find the right. Uh, CRM tool. And it's like, how do we, how do we take that down to two weeks? Right. Right. So tell me a bit about your journey. I know a little bit just because we're, we're kind of friends online. We never met in person yet. Uh, hopefully at a conference someday in the future. Um, but let's talk about the journey leading up to launching e-commerce tech. Like, like what do you believe uniquely positions you, I guess, to have the expertise and the desire to want to help Shopify brands kind of improve their efficiencies or help them with their growth goals? The desire, yeah, has been with me for a while. I think I've always wanted to, um, ironically, my background, I played high stakes poker for 10 years. And poker is a game where 
you know, everybody's your competition and you have to be ruthless playing against them. And and I don't mean like mean, you just basically play your best. You don't want to give people money. You want as much as you can. So you, you play for yourself. But on the back end of that, I was always coaching and collaborating with people and we got better together. And I think that that mentality carried over when I transitioned into running my own digital marketing agency. So we were helping a lot of small businesses grow. Uh, something I'm really passionate about is just seeing inside a business and 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 coming up with great strategies or or finding big gaps in their in what they're doing in order to improve the business. So that that got me started on the path of helping businesses. From there, I went uh, in house for a beauty box subscription called BoxyCharm. I was the director of growth, director of acquisition. And we were able to to grow their you know uh, advertising budget from zero to three hundred thousand a month, take the business to a whole new level mm-hmm. in a relatively short period of time. All while I'm looking at learning the things of the other problems in e-commerce operations, logistics. Like I said, vetting software vendors. I actually found in that company we had an old email service provider, Constant Contact, that we hadn't used in eleven months, and we were paying eleven hundred dollars a month for it. So that was like, what is that? Ten, fifteen thousand dollars of wasted <laughs> tech yeah. spend. Yeah, and and that was one of the things that kind of propelled me over to um, to do this because I saw I've seen tools like Siftery, which is great for understanding where your tech spend is going and keeping an eye on your tech stack, and tools like Captera or G two Crowd, which are do, um, allowing people to review technology and they give brief rundowns and comparisons. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought like. Those are kind of both maybe a little passe. They're not for e-commerce, that's for sure. And they're also not for, they're not really personalized. They're not really diving into the tools. The people that are reviewing these aren't necessarily using them. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why, why don't we take a more hands-on approach, especially in e-commerce technology, which I, I've I've started my own Shopify brands. I wouldn't say I've succeeded mm-hmm. uh, yet uh, mm-hmm. with, with any of them, but, but I've also, I've helped brands grow in a very successful way. Mm-hmm. It helped existing brands. It's a lot easier to to help an established brand, by the way, than to uh, than to start one from scratch. And I've looked at the so I've looked at the technology side in in quite a different way. And so to finish the story, I was in house at a company called Gorgeous. They were mm-hmm. they're a Shopify Plus partner, mm-hmm. focused completely in the ecosystem, totally disrupting customer service um, from a technology standpoint for Shopify brands. And I saw the power of the Shopify app ecosystem, and I said, I want to improve on what you know apps.shopify.com is doing right. which is just letting the brand the tech providers post what they think is right about their brand brands suck at transparency they suck at getting to the bottom of what makes their app valuable mm-hmm. like the aha moments right. and i'm actually that's my specialty i'm pretty good at those things so i'm going to do those in a nutshell for 100 shopify apps just as a starting point mm-hmm. and uh, and and see where it takes me <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, I do a very similar thing, quote unquote, in my day job. So as you know, um, I'm part of the merchant success team um, at Shopify Plus, which is the enterprise side of Shopify. And part of my day to day, I have a book of business, some merchants that I manage. And part of my, I guess, day to day, I talk about 
their their tech stack. That's one topic. And there's other different parts of the acquisition, conversion, retention, and brand strategy and business operations. There's lots of, uh, I guess, key business areas. But when it talks to, when we discuss about the tech stack part of it, that's one of the first things I do when I get a brand new account. I actually have a look to see, same as this constant contact issue you just mentioned, but I double check to see, is there any consolidation available or why did you make these choices on these solutions and are you actually getting value out of them? And literally I go from top to bottom and saying, okay, you're using MailChimp, but why does you show, why are you showing Clavio in here also in your admin? It's like, oh, okay. And so it opens up some dialogue. It creates a lot of trust because like, okay, you're trying to save me money. Yes, I am. Okay. Or efficiencies. And then, so we go through that, opens up their mind. Maybe it turns out if they're on plus, they have access to scripts and launch pad and flow and increased API calls and whatever it is, these other benefits that plus gives you on top of sometimes an MSM, uh, like me, merchant success manager, uh, you know, we can then figure out some other efficiencies or other agency partners or developers that can help maybe create a custom solution for them instead of having to pay monthly for an app um, or multiple apps. Because we know the more apps you add, the more JavaScript, more things going on the website, then that gets into other conversations about speed. This is probably, you probably are used to all of these conversations. The number also. one conversation always starts with, <laughs> hey, my, my, my site isn't loading fast enough. I think everyone experiences that problem. No site loads fast enough at the end of the day because we want it instantly, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just not possible. <laughs> and that opens up the dialogue. Okay, well, if these apps need to stay here, have you heard about AMP? It used to be called accelerated mobile pages. Google just wants to call it AMP now or PWA, progressive web app, instead of having a dedicated app. In the, and so it, these are interesting topics, but maybe they're not band-aid solutions, but they could be at least from the initial part. Let's do the, the investigation first of what tech you actually have. And it sounds like that's what e-commerce tech is doing to a certain degree is they're uh, you know, pausing for a moment. Uh, what's keeping you up at night? What sort of KPIs are important to you today? Um, and then helping you vet the appropriate tech. Because we talk about it on the show quite a bit that Shopify does 80% of commerce really well. It's that other 20% that needs to be filled in with a marketing platform, tech pieces, things that Shopify is likely never going to build uh, because they have other projects on the go. And so they have a great uh, partner and kind of app ecosystem, as you know, and that's the power of the combined energies of these two together. And now you're helping uh, the vetting process, the introduction process. So I think that's like really, really awesome. Yeah, with, with, you know, I think it's five, five apps come out a day on the Shopify <laughs> app store or something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to keep up with all the changes. And I, I do think you, you kind of hit on something. You have two buckets. You have, you have the problems that you know exist in your company and you're looking for a technology solution. And then you really have the tech tools you haven't heard of. So right. the unknown unknowns mm. that could be game changers for right. you. And, and, uh, and so putting those two together, you know, adds a lot of value to people. I manage a lot of accounts. This is kind of what I do, I guess, on the early stage when I'm with them at the beginning of the relationship. Um, what's your process if someone learns more about e-commerce tech and they're listening to the show? Maybe walk us through what your process is maybe to help store owners choose the right tech tools. Uh, the first thing we're going to want to do is take a look at we don't need to go deep into the revenue numbers, but it's like, where about where are you on a revenue standpoint? How fast are you growing? And maybe what, what even are the channels of growth um, to, to start with? And then, and that's important because tools come at the cost, they come in a couple of different flavors of cost. But at the end of the day, a technology tool may have a cost uh, directly associated with your margin. Meaning if you have 40% margins and you implement this tool, it might get you more 
uh, revenue. So it might increase revenue by 10%, but it'll decrease margin by 1% or 2% or something like that, right? right? right. So it eats at margin, but it increases growth. And we need to understand how that dynamic works with each tool that we're implementing. Right. So we got to look at the cost of goods sold, our operating margin, and really start there. And that's why I think a lot of brands, drop shipping brands especially, are are going to continue to struggle um, because the with the lower the margins, the harder it is to implement growth tools and growth strategies because you're really threading the needle there. Mm-hmm. So you know whatever you can do to increase um, gross margin, which often, uh, not always. Now, if you can increase average order value or lifetime value, that tools can do that. But in other cases, you know the the tools is often going to be a cost on the margin. So we, we start by looking at the, those basic numbers. Then we want to look at the resources. Who's going to own this tool? Mm-hmm. How much time a week is it going to take to manage this tool? <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, like is if no one's going to own it or if you're the CEO or a solo founder, like your plate is full. How are you going to add this to your plate? Right. Is it worth it to add this to your plate? What are you going to take off your plate in order to put this on your plate? Right. And that's, that's really important because um, especially when it comes to advanced marketing automation software, upsell, cross-sell platforms, anything that really could be taking a, a bit of your time in maintenance. Um, messenger marketing, I think, is a is a great tool. Huge investment of time if you want to do it right. Yeah. Like there's, you know, on-off switches for maybe retargeting, but SMS, uh, push notifications, those can all take a lot of your time because they're channels just like email marketing, but you have to rewrite and restructure everything. Right. So all of a sudden you're like, okay, who's going to own this? Well, if you have a head of marketing, perfect. Hopefully they have enough room on their plate for, <laughs> for those activities. Right. If you don't, maybe you shouldn't be investing in these tools yet. You should roll them out after you you know hit a certain revenue milestone. Right. Now, what happens with brands that uh, are kind of chomping at the bit for growth? Because this really comes up quite a bit where uh, they believe, well, they are at a certain level, um, but they uh, see other competitors in the same space that are a little more mature. But like, what sort of concepts or what sort of uh, advice do you give these people saying, hey, you know, my retail is doing better than my online store. That's ridiculous. So fix it, Steve. How, how do you answer that? Of course, there's there's no magic bullet for this kind of thing. Mm. And that is often a, a really tough problem. In that exact situation, we need to think more about how are we going to get retail traffic to repeat purchase online. Ah. And that involves things like um, whether it's a gift card, a loyalty program, some sort of um, receipt or something that says, you know, buy your second online at 10% off. That's the kind of thing you're going to look for. So I would, you know, look to look at a loyalty program that implements both online and offline solutions Mm -hmm. in in that exact case. Mm -hmm. I, I think in general, a lot of companies are in a very dangerous spot. They don't realize they're dangerous. Like you could be making a million dollars a year. You you have a a reasonable profit margin. You're paying yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But there's companies that are growing 10 times faster than you in your space. And they're going to end up squashing you pretty soon. They're going to take over the search rankings. They're, you know, obviously things like Facebook ads are getting more and more competitive. So your margins are going to continue to shrink down to zero as theirs continue to grow. And why are they growing? Because they have invested heavily into growth. And I mean invested, meaning like they've put hundreds of thousands of dollars, they've taken loans, they've taken capital, and they're able to invest in growth. And it is always an investment. Like we said, I already said, there's no magic bullet. So when you're looking for a solution, 
you're going to have to try things. And when you're trying things, there is a gap between when you pay money and when you get results. And sometimes you don't get results at all. Yeah. So it's a variable compensation you know, investment. You're looking for the next channel or the next tactic or you know, something that will increase average order value. Of course, all of these things should be centered around value for the customer. Mm-hmm. If they're not, you're, you know, if, if it's false scarcity or mm-hmm. uh, something like that, it's those those hacks are only going to work so well and for so long. The the real things are are finding more value, opening a new product line, things like that that drive growth forward. But yeah, it's a dangerous dangerous world mm-hmm. out there, and we, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of stores that are in this precarious position where if they don't grow, they will die, but they don't have enough money to invest in that growth either. Right. And that's where I think, honestly, you have to look for con- consolidation, merging and acquisition as, as, a, as a strategy mm-hmm. to to further the business. And, and that's, of course, very complicated. Yeah. Thanks, Derek, for that, because that's uh, some great feedback, because that's the challenge that I have with a few brands at this particular moment right now. Retail booming online, not as big or the same, and that shocks them. And then we start going through the usual suspects of apps, marketing platforms, and try to figure out when they are missing a lot of these pieces. So I know there's going to be some some growth is going to happen automatically now over time as they execute on each of these. Just do they have the bandwidth? I'm recommending do it. Then there's some internal business operations if in fact they have enough people to do it and the resources uh, to be able to execute on, like you said, you know, let's say Facebook Messenger, text and Facebook push notifications, these sorts of things. There needs to be people and creatives that go along with them to make them all work. Uh, I can recommend till I'm blue in the face, but at the end of the day, I can't do the work for the brand. Maybe that's uh, something that I can learn today is saying, hey, uh, maybe we we need to figure out a a slow burn. Like how do we uh, slowly implement things and see the results instead of blasting them with all of these things that I know they're missing. I see more mature brands that they've, you know, identified as being their competitor um, and they're using these tools. So I need to use these tools too. And the answer is that doesn't solve all of your problems, what you said, because it's, it's a human capital problem of execution on these tools. I, I did mention before about the whole 80%, you know, kind of commerce is done really well by Shopify and their 20 in the app kind of ecosystem. And that they kind of fill in these gaps with other, you know, apps or custom development or, you know, a lot of different things that can connect to Shopify to really help, I guess, expand or improve upon the customer's experience. So where do you currently find the biggest gaps or challenges that a store owner currently has in their tech stack? I... See this everywhere, uh, certainly not just in e-commerce, but the, the number one thing, and we're, we're getting so close, it re- really, it, it has to do with attribution of where somebody's come from, as well as the entire omni-channel and kind of lifecycle marketing approach. We know and studies show that actually omni-channel marketing is a much better strategy than single channel, meaning if you're running Facebook ads, you should consider other channels as well because people will actually, you should see a reduce of your cost per acquisition when you add in a few different channels. But also from a lead nurturing and retention standpoint, we have omni-channel, I've already kind of mentioned, SMS, push notification, messenger, just to name a few. We also have, of course, advertising, retargeting, and multi-channel there, and we have no clear view of that journey. Like if you took one of your customers, like a customer that you've had for three years, could you tell me where they came from, how many times they had touch points before they purchased, mm-hmm. how many emails you sent, which emails converted them to repeat purchase, You know, how many people they referred, how many loyalty points they gained. You couldn't tell me yeah. all of these things because there's no clear dashboard that shows this individual or segmented or entire database lifecycle journey. 
And the actual problem in this uh, in this exact case is because even with a, a tool like Clavio, which is a great email service provider, and it has it has some view of that journey, it doesn't do everything. It doesn't do the messenger marketing, the push notifications, or the SMS uh, as of today. And therefore, it's not showing you those parts of the journey. And so how do we see the holistic view, I think, has always been the, the biggest problem since probably about 2005, honestly, uh, maybe. And cert- I'm sure it's been around earlier, but it seems to have emerged as digital became a, a major channel because it's solvable. It is absolutely a solvable problem, but it's really hard to, uh, to get down. So how do we know why somebody purchased like psychologically, but also from our own efforts. So like I purchased because I really liked the product. Well, you really liked the product because I showed it to you in Google Display, Facebook, Outbrain, like whatever it is, right? right? And, and so it was actually the touch points that convinced them they liked the product. And that's kind of our job as, as the, on, in the marketing department. Right. And then the better we can understand that, the better we can invest, the better we can grow, grow the business. So I, th- I see this as the problem. And I think this problem will be completely solved, latched down and solved by, I'll, I'll say 2025. Mm-hmm. Like at the latest, we're getting closer every single day. Mm-hmm. Tools are consolidating and they're, they're knowing that this is a problem. But I wouldn't say we're, we're quite there yet where any small scale store, certainly anybody under 10 million in revenue has a, has a really good view into the journey. Mm. I also see a lot of uh, chatter online about this, this PII, they call this uh, personally identifiable uh, information. Uh, do you have much experience with that about like why the attribution, why there is this attribution problem and associating a particular customer and a particular journey and all their touch points? I can see the benefits from a marketing perspective, but why is there the opposite effect of people not wanting to and or why tech? is not allowing for this personally identifiable information to be stored. And that's, of course, um, we're, we're dealing with security and regulation mm. at this point. Right. And we have European law, California is launching a new law that restricts uh, how personally identifiable information is. And I'm sure the United States will have one soon. Canada has their own as, as well. And so the first thing is like something like Google Analytics doesn't give you personally identifiable information. Uh, so right away, we have a big limitation. If you're using that to try and track you know, traffic and revenue and stuff like that, it can't track it to the customer level. So that's a big limitation. Um, the second thing when we look at it is how are we going to store this information? When it comes to a contact record, most email service providers require that contact record to have an email address. This is actually a huge limitation because email isn't the only way we can identify a person. We want to identify contacts, not emails, Mm, if that makes sense. A person is a person. People don't change their individuality (laughs) (laughs) over time. Once I've identified Steve Hutt has been to my store once, I want to know everything else Steve is doing. Like, you know, I want to know every other site you visit as well. I want to know everything about you. Of course, that's not possible. And I don't think that should be possible. But we, you know, we do really want to have all of that information. So we want, we want to know your phone number and we want to tie your phone number to your email address. But here's where it's just a minor example of why this PII problem is a little bit tricky. You've maybe you've input your email address with a pop up tool like Privy. Right. Right, Privy is great at, at, at capturing emails and it captures other information. Mm-hmm. Then you go to check out on the store and you enter a different email address and a phone number. Now there's, for one reason or another, you want to use a different email address. It happens all the time. 
now we've got one record in Privy that was probably pushed to your email service provider and another record that's separate. So we've got a duplicate record. Uh, one has the phone number, the other doesn't. So how do we try and tie all of this data together? If you're not paying close attention or grooming your database, which is literally a full-time job and nobody really is doing it, and honestly, nobody should be doing it, it should be uh, almost an automated role, th- then you would, you would find these duplicate records, you would merge them together, you would input email one and email two into separate things, and you'd be able to see the contact record there and, and their entire journey. You would be able to merge their two customer journeys together. That would be a phenomenal solution. I don't think I know anybody that does <laughs> yeah. that. There's a couple of solutions that allow for merging of duplicate records, but we're, we're a long ways away. Mm. It sh- it, there's other ways to identify people from IP address, location information, and trying to merge anonymous IPs with PII once PII is given by the consumer. So consent is essentially given. And then we say, oh, we actually do know who you are. You visited seven times and we've been tracking you anonymously. Right. And so that that's kind of the issue at hand. I don't have a good solution for it right now. Yeah. And I think the whole analytics kind of data warehousing conversations, I think come up more with larger brands and how they can consolidate all this data and then disseminate it and actually make decisions on it. And people are trying to solve this problem through all maturity levels. Um, but uh, yeah, more more news coming on that soon. I'll have a couple links in the show notes too, to Ooh. some recommended solutions to, you know, that I think people are solving um, that might help with this PII and the journey and whatnot. So let's, let's talk about maybe some of the tools since you, you know, this is your all day long, you deal with this with, with merchants. Um, Do you have any, any tools or any kind of emerging platforms and things that you believe can offer a lot of value uh, right now based on what kind of this pre BFCM Q4 time right now for 2019, just curious on what you've seen that's uh, on your radar. I love discovering new tools and and I think that there's um, there's still a lot more left to be discovered, but a couple of tools I'm really bullish on right now. One of them is called Phoenix Commerce. And this tool fascinated me from the moment I saw it because I've seen tools that kind of give you a a date, like get it by this day or whatever it is. But that was always just like essentially enter today plus three business days. So it's it's just like a, a easy to do script that isn't extremely accurate. What Phoenix Commerce does is it combines your existing shipping information, your warehouse inventory information, the user's location information, uh, weather information, holidays, and it uses machine learning algorithm based on your brand to extremely accurately predict the landed date of a, of the product in the consumer's household. Mm. And it can also upsell the consumer to faster deli- shipping because it's able to tell you exactly when you'll get it if you order a priority or first class or whatever that is. It, and in that way, increases conversion rate because it's it's answering a really fundamental question of purchasing products online. When will I have this in my hand, right? When will I have this product in my hand? Because I'm not buying it to buy something online. I want to hold this. I'm trying to use a physical product. Um, and and so by answering that question, we're you know greasing the chute to purchase mm-hmm. the product. We're easing a lot of tension. A lot of websites, including big websites, I was just on Fashion Nova, their shipping information tab, if you just go to a product on fashionnova.com, it's confusing. It's like 20 bullet points long. It has all of these ins and outs of them. Just replace that with a get it, you know, in five days. We don't know what business days are, by the way. <laughs> yeah. it, the, I assume the weekend, you know, in three business days. So if I imagine it's in two business days and I'm ordering Wednesday night, right? 
is that Monday morning or yeah. <laughs> is that Friday evening? Right. It, you know, I don't know for sure. It might even be Tuesday mm-hmm. or Wednesday because it might, you know, might count Thursday and Friday and then, then it comes on Monday. I, d- I have no idea. So a lot of ambiguity around that can be answered with machine learning, with, with a smart program that, that's able to display in real time your, your predicted landed date. And then it also helps the operations department fulfill on, on essentially the commitment that they've made. And um, I will add one. It came on my radar. I don't have a lot of information on it. I will put the sh- uh, the note or the link actually in the show notes. But it's called Delm D E L M dot I O. And apparently, I'm, I don't think they're as advanced as what Fanex Commerce is doing. I do have quite a few brands that are currently using Fanex Commerce for displaying, uh, you know, in in real time the at least the options for shipping and a, the a pretty accurate date for delivery. I know it's certainly reduced a lot of friction and has helped just add that trust and credibility to the brand that they feel very, you know, just they're, they're more apt to want to convert. These are the sort of conversations I have all day long. How with my existing traffic, how can I improve my conversion rate? And this is one of the tactics. There's many other ones out there, but if we're talking right now about the shipping and delivery times, you do want to get it in your hand. You're right. You're not just buying for the sake of buying. You actually want it. When is it going to come? And bang, order by this time, get it by this time. And they factor in a lot of things. This company called Delm, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, it, it really depends on your budget and kind of where you're at and, and you know, oh, I guess working with Derek um, or, you know, linking directly to these these different solutions and vetting them on your own. Um, you know, I think it opens up your mind that there are some options out there for delivery. Uh, and I think that, like I said, reduces friction and it's nice that it, it's kind of revealing itself from within, uh, the product page and, you know, you're more apt to want to click buy now and because you feel it's going to arrive on a time frame that works for you. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'll add one more that I think of, maybe you might have a few more too to share, but one that pops into mind recently is a, is a company called Caro, C-A-R-R-O. I think it's getcaro.com. But they're interesting because what they do mm-hmm. that's unique, um, most people understand the power of influencers, um, the fact that you're using other people's audience to you know promote a product or using it in real time. It just, I think there's some, some you know, in some cases, some pretty authentic ways of showing product actually being used uh, by a random normal person and you could see yourself using the same product a teeth whitening product or you know fashion whatever it is but the interesting thing what caro does is they actually look at they reveal i guess the social footprint of people and press too for that matter of people that have actually purchased from your brand and so what they do is they look at you know usually the typically the email address is associated to your to your social profile and then they have connections to you know facebook and twitter and and instagram and the like and then what they do is they then um, have this footprint and you create a filter and saying hey you know what i'm looking to expand or work with influencers to promote what it is that i'm all about the interesting thing, instead of going out and, and there are lots of platforms out there that help you find influencers that are doing things in fashion or beauty or whatever they're involved in and they talk about their their, their size of their followers are and, and the sort of engagement you could get. The flip side of what Carol is doing is that 
they've already purchased from you. So let's say it's a teeth whitening product. They've made the purchase. Um, they obviously like it. They've enjoying it. And then you're looking at their social footprint and going, wow, okay, they've got 20,000 followers on Twitter right now or Instagram. That's interesting to me. And if that fits in the criteria of a campaign of a type of person, a micro influencer that you'd like to work with, then some triggers, some automatic notifications can go out to these people, or you could be pinged, uh, you know, on, on a Slack or onto a Google sheet, or it could be a text message for somebody internally in the marketing team and saying, Hey, wait a second here. Someone's just made a purchase. We haven't fulfilled it yet. Can we do a personal outreach? Can there be a handwritten note? Can I include something extra in the box? Um, welcome them to thanks for you making your purchase. And Hey, we have this loyalty program, this affiliate program. We have this ambassador program, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Carol goes up by a different angle. You're already a customer, but wow, you fit into a profile that we believe we could potentially work together. So have you heard much about Carol at all or any others in that space? Oh yeah. I, we could talk about influencer marketing <laughs> for an entire okay. episode. And what, what I love about this tool is the authenticity of it. And when we, when you're looking to launch an influencer marketing program or, or you have something that's kind of ongoing, you're, you, you want to start typically, I would say starting in a place where you're looking for essentially product reviews. That's essentially, you're going to give away free product in exchange for them sharing on social media. And that's perfect for micro influencers. And Caro can identify the whole gamut from uh, mega to micro, but by just the raw numbers of how influencers work, you'll find more micro influencers than macro buying from you. And by identifying them really easily with this tool, like you said, what I, what I like to do is actually surprise and delight. Uh, in this situation. So what I want to do is add an extra product into the box and just say, thanks for being awesome. And then you just sit back and wait and you'll see the posts on social media come in automatically. You don't even have to ask mm. for them. And then, or, uh, but you, you can ask for them and you can try and build that relationship, but like you can just go an extra mile. You don't always know who is the right person to surprise and delight it, you know, that has purchased from you. But with Caro, you're right. You're kind of identifying the, the best people to give a little bit extra oomph to a little extra customer service, a little extra product in, in the box uh, for. And so that's what I really like about this tool. And of course, just fostering those relationships, it, it will drive business for the long run. It's about building, you know, uh, an authentic brand and building those relationships with people who, have a little bit more influence than mm -hmm. other people uh, in the market. And so, yeah, I, cool. I love that. Um, do you have any other tools that you'd like to recommend? I'll throw out uh, one more really quick that comes to mind. I just saw this tool. I plugged it into a store that I run and it just started giving me better data than, than Shopify. And what, what I mean, it's called Segments by Tressel, T-R-E-S-L. The guy that runs it, his name is John Chow. He, I believe he has a co-founder as well. He's a former e-commerce data analyst from a, like a large brand. And he decided to take his knowledge and build an app for just detailed acquisition, retention, lifetime value. How long until 90% of people purchase from you? So like, what does purchase behavior look like? And from there, he's crafted essentially suggestions that help you optimize your store. So what, uh, one example is a lot of people have pop-ups or, or abandoned cart sequences on their website. And so you've captured these email addresses and you marketed to somebody and it's been six months. They haven't opened an email. They haven't purchased from you. They haven't visited the website. Maybe it's time to take those people off your list. And if you're looking at a tool, you know, any email service provider is charging by the contact. So I did this for a store. We removed 33% of our contacts 
our open rates went up. Uh, we didn't lose anything because these are people, again, that had not opened, responded to, engaged, or visited the website. So it was just a dead list, right? We were able to get rid of them off of our list and we improved the open rate, which is really important because that helps deliverability to the next person. That's just one example of how this tool helped. Another one is uh, when you want to give urgency on like a discount code. So maybe they sign up for something and you can see, oh, on average, 90% of my customers purchase within three days. Let's make the deadline three days instead of seven because we want to correspond with our existing purchase behavior. So things like that, that you can do by looking at the advanced data, it also could just help if you're the head of marketing, you need to report to your CEO. It helps a lot with just uh, gathering and analyzing. Very cool. I, ironically enough, um, I had a, a, I guess, a social chat uh, with uh, John, the co-founder of Segments, and uh, he's actually coming on a future podcast episode. So I'll put a link to what his solution does. Um, I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, just other than going to segments.tressel.co. But I will have a full, like yours, a full-blown podcast on what his solution can do and how it can help your brand just uncover some data different than what Shopify is showing. Um, so I think that's uh, really, really cool. Um, this show, I'm sure you can appreciate, it really does have a diverse range of listeners. So if you were to give some advice, I guess, to early stage uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs on Shopify, um, what would that be? It's simultaneously the easiest and hardest time to mm -hmm. get into e-commerce. We are past maybe the original hump of the golden age, but there's still so much room left to grow. And when you are a small brand, you are in a dangerous spot. You're not a necessarily a startup like a tech startup. Uh, you, you'll need to grow you know, revenue. You might not take funding, but you need to really figure out how to build a moat mm. around your business. And it's probably nope. maybe a cliche yep. phrase for a lot of people, but you, you need to have this digitally native vertical brand, something that's unique and compelling so that you're not just uh, drop shipping from China. And sure, if you're some people are still making this work. And dropshipping from China might be a great way to test products and audiences before spending $100,000 to build your own mold or something like that. But at the end of the day, if somebody else can sell the same product as you, you're going to have a really hard time differentiating yourselves. Margins are going to shrink. And we already said that you're just going to get gobbled up by the, by the big guys in the market. You're never really going to be able to make it out of this range. And I can tell you, I know so many store owners that are, that, you know, everyone brags, we're making a million dollars a year. Yeah, but you could actually lose money on a million dollars a year. Many e-commerce stores are losing money. You made a million dollars and I'm 50,000 in debt at the end of the year. So you got to be really focused on operating right. margin. You got to be focused on digitally native vertical brand and building that out from the beginning. If you don't have a unique and compelling concept, don't start launching the business. That's right. So that's number one. Or actually, that's number two, uh, because number one is actually about you personally. I don't believe everyone should be starting an e-commerce store. I don't think most people are ready. Um, I think people are getting into mm -hmm. it too early. As an example, myself, I started a digital marketing agency too early. I knew more than the people that I was helping, but I wasn't the, let's say, 95 percentile best in market digital marketer. And the truth is, if, you do, if you're going to succeed well, if you're going to you know, go more than a small business, um, you need to be in the top right. top percentile. And for me, the struggle was providing that value, learning and growing. I could have done it better underneath a larger agency and just been an employee or head of marketing or something like that. But instead, I did it on my own and I made so many mistakes that ended up costing me so much money. So I grew a lot slower. So if you're not 
experienced. If you're not great at marketing, business operations, uh, logistics, if you're not great at product, if you don't have a full, we could use a spider diagram of you know financials, legal, uh, e-commerce, coding, website development, if you don't know all of those things and you don't need to know all of them very well, then you have to acknowledge that you have gaps in starting and running a business. Those gaps are either going to cost you money, so you need investment capital, they're going to cost you time because you're going to need to learn, or they're just going to sink your business entirely and you're going to fail. The other side of this, so that's the early stage people. What about those people that are, I would call them more mid-market? So they have a small team. They're definitely eager to grow and scale. Uh, what, what sort of things should maybe the executive team or the marketing team, in your opinion, what should they be working on now? So right now with an established business, the biggest opportunity you have is in your own data and organizing it and preparing it to as a weapon to use for better segmentation, targeting, and growth. And there are tools that now, of course, we, we're, the buzzword is AI machine learning, whichever one you want to call it, can help you extrapolate key insights from your data and make better decisions. So in my opinion, the first thing you need to do is groom your database, keep it very well organized, know who your top 1% you know, best customers are, know who your detractors are, know things like your customer service process and how that's influencing behavior uh, and, and really understanding because customer service is a great way to have real conversations with people, kind of a qualitative approach to understanding mm-hmm. why people buy from you, why people love your product um, and things like that. You can also create surveys to, to better understand user behavior and using that for wh- whether it's creating a great advertising campaign, launching a new product line, personalizing the website experience. I think that's a huge one. You, you have opportunities like never before. These were things that only Amazon could do in the past, only Walmart could do in the past, only the, only the, the big brands could do. And now there are tools at our, everyone's disposal on the Shopify app ecosystem that allow us to significantly improve all of our, our, our margin, our, our lifetime value, our repeat purchase, all the things that we love through through weaponizing our data. I love it. I think the well, what I wrote a note here, but one thing that, that caught my attention was the whole customer service side because, uh, you, and you had mentioned at the top of the show about, uh, you know, previously employed with uh, Gorgeous, the CRM solution. And it seems to be, uh, you know, a highly recommended solution. Zendesk is, is quite popular also, um, and a few others that are out there. But Gorgeous seems to be a really align themselves quite nicely with uh, and, and playing very nicely with other uh, people in the Shopify's app ecosystem. And, you know, one of their mantras is that is, is, is changing the CRM or the customer service into more of a profit center versus a cost center, meaning that why am I spending hundreds of dollars a month for the CRM to have email communication and where's my tracking number and these sort of things, whereas they have another way around exactly what you said. It's creating this personal relationship, be it through chat or be it through email or through social media. And there's there's so many ways that Gorgeous, I think, has uh, built their platform to help. Once again, this is trying to help you, you know, those listening today to grow and scale. If you have a CRM, solution like gorgeous and you're able to see the social footprint and you have a loyalty program you can see points and you're really empowering your frontline customer service reps through this tool to be able to communicate and educate and empowered to do things uh, to make it right i was uh, i was on uh, on stage at conversations conference and i predicted the emergence of what i call the sales department mm. in e-commerce if you think about there's two types of stores, perhaps. One is Costco. If you walk into a Costco, you can never talk to anybody and find what you're looking for. You just got to go find it on your own. No one will help you. 
If you go into Best Buy, though, you've got people standing in each department ready to show you a computer and explain how it works to you and all of those things. So right now, e-commerce stores are kind of operating like a Costco. You have to go in and figure out where the products are, how they work, whether you should buy them or not, and answer your own questions. Maybe you can fill out a form or something like that, and somebody will get back to you in hopefully less than 24 hours. We need to operate more like a Best Buy with on-floor sales reps. These are reasonably paid, perhaps even commission-based live chat representatives that have the answers to the questions and can walk somebody through Mm -hmm. to purchase. The data shows they will purchase more frequently. They will purchase more 60% higher average order value with, with insanely high conversion rates. And they will become brand advocates if you can, in real time, answer their questions mm-hmm. and push them towards sale. The problem is that a lot of the reps doing this type of sales uh, on websites right now are actually customer service reps. And honestly, if I'm being honest, the customer service department is kind of neglected or mistreated. You typically pay low dollar for cheap labor to answer simple questions. But as businesses grow, and especially with product complexity, you need well-trained representatives who can answer tough questions and know how to sell. They've been trained. They have a sales training guide. I'm not saying you need to pay $30 an hour for a customer service rep, but maybe $4 an hour outsourced in the Philippines isn't going to get you the kind of mm-hmm. brand affinity right. that you're looking for. I find it interesting too. I've seen a lot of co-browsing solutions now through chat where you know you can, you can push people links and you can actually see in real time where people are. Oh, no, no, click there and try this. And so interesting, helping people along. And yeah, I mean, imagine imagine being able to use a tool like Gorgeous or other that I guess empowers these, these, these frontline, as you want to call them, more the sales department than customer service department and, you know, and offer some kind of a spiff, a, like almost like a, a salesperson's incentive incentive for helping them along with that journey and closing a sale. I guarantee you that uh, people in the mobile, the cell phone market or in the TV markets, I can guarantee you that when you are pushed to loyalty and retention because you want to leave, I know what happened recently, even with uh, Spotify, with me or with Sirius XM satellite radio, I can remember these conversations. As soon as I'm kind of done, I'm done with a free trial in the car. I had it for a year. I'm done. They're working hard (laughs) to try to, um, and discount and showing value as best they can to convert people. So I, I think you're right on the money that customer services uh, is kind of a, is a necessary, but I think the language behind it is, uh, I think having a sales department and what uh, Gorgeous is trying to position also is more of a profit center, upselling, cross-selling, um, saving sales, offering incentives and coupon codes and, and all these different things that they can do dynamically, all part of the overall tech stack as part of the brand. It's nice that you're empowering people to do that. I bet you the retention of these employees having this kind of uh, limits and power available to them to say, you know, you're, allowed, you're allowed to give up to $50 to each customer for, uh, you know, if, if there's some kind of a challenge or an issue with an order or late delivery and these sorts of things. So, Well, how about this? I'll give you 10% of all orders that you help somebody convert to, to a sale. And of course, that might not work within everybody's margins. Maybe it's 5% yeah. or maybe it's something right. else, uh, a bonus. But it, when you can track the revenue back to the agent, that changes it to sales. That's awesome. And that's important. So let's talk about uh, the future uh, of e-commerce tech. So do you have any anything that you can highlight about where you are taking the company for the rest of this Q4, this kind of pre-BFCM time, um, and what 2020 might look like for e-commerce tech? Yeah, if you're listening to this right now, we have an event uh, October 22nd. It's a free virtual event called Operational Excellence Before Black Friday. It's You can find it at operations.ecommercetech.io. And it'll be free on demand for anybody that's listening afterwards as well. So you can just go in there, log in, and you'll see all the sessions. 
we do, we'll be doing six virtual events in 2020 and launching uh, the future of e-commerce kind of virtual event series. We'll be launching the future of e-commerce podcast, and we will have our live event called the future of e-commerce live. So it's a, it's a big year for us. We're really looking forward to, um, to providing a ton of value and, and, uh, and talking to more store owners and, and helping them with their tech stack decisions. We are nearing the end of the show, um, but do you have any closing comments or any takeaways that you would like to leave with our listeners today? While I am admittedly <laughs> a cynic, I <Okay>. believe <laughs> that um, that you you really need to own your strengths and your weaknesses as a business owner, as an executive team, even building out the spider graph and figuring out which aspects of business you just don't have covered right now, and and then preparing you know your growth plan to hire to cover cover your weaknesses is usually the best way is to hire to cover them. Learning to cover is, is a slower path. And I don't believe that success is, is random. It's earned through strategically finding a differentiated strategy, hitting the right timing into a market, owning the brand, owning the customer relationship. Uh, sorry to all those Amazon brands. I mean, it, it, that's a rough road because you just right. do not own anything with the customer there. So the, it's really about uh, keeping those relationships together, building them in a one-to-one at scale through things like customer service and responding to email inquiries and and uh, and figuring out which niche audience you, you can help support and drive real value for. Yeah. So- yeah, yeah I, you know what, and I'm, I'm totally in alignment on that. I, I, this is my mantra that I always say. I'm not sure where I picked it up on someone, you know, in, on the interweb somewhere, but you know, doubling down on your strengths and then outsource the rest. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's uh, it takes you know, it, it's nice to have a, a a cursory knowledge of lots of things to run your business. Fair enough, um, but I also feel that most brands kind of work in a bubble uh, where they you know, don't necessarily know what is going on. That's why I you know I do recommend a lot of of marketing agency partners where I just feel that internally they don't have the resources or they have a team member that's fairly good but they're working inside this vacuum where they're just thinking about their own brand and kind of what they're doing and they're not seeing the larger scope of other brands that agency partners get to work on and creatives and successes that they're getting out of that and then can they learn from those successes and apply them towards yours that's one reason why some people may want to you know outsource some of their digital marketing uh, efforts to an agency that really doubles down if it's SEO or top of funnel kind of acquisition uh, strategies, or if it's, you know, maybe it's a retention strategy, who knows, whatever it is, it's nice to understand what your your strengths are and then uh, outsource all the rest. So, um, so how can people learn more about e-commerce tech and then the services and education that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, head on over to ecommercetech.io. You can uh, submit to to book a free consultation with me. I do free quarterly consultations with Shopify stores. We review the tech stack. We look at the growth of the business and we try and determine where is, is the best place to invest, where we have the resources for, what do we need to pull back on, what's working, what's not. And I'm able to kind of save uh, maybe a dozen hours uh, of your time in, in vetting the right tools. And that way you feel strongly about the, you know, the next three months of growth of your company, you know what tools you're going to implement and we can continually revisit and adjust. Cool. So to get started with Derek um, and his company, e-commerce tech, um, I'll make sure that I have the link in the show notes. It'll be ecommercefastlane.com forward slash e-commerce tech. And that link is going to redirect you to the details. Uh, There'll be a few questions um, that will help Derek, I guess, prepare and 
make, uh, I guess, the best recommendations for the right apps um, at the right stage for your business. So it's a pretty cool offer. So definitely go check it out. And thanks, Derek. I really I massively appreciate it. Um, I, and thank you for uh, this second episode that we had to record. Um, it was a great lesson learned for me. Uh, and I was being smart about wanting to reboot my computer because the recording solution that I use is very resource heavy, but I forgot to change the default microphone input and it had a very tinny sound. So thank you once again for getting on this uh, recording. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. This episode is supported by Carol, an incredible Shopify app that discovers all the influencers, press, and media that already love your brand. They can be customers, email subscribers, or fans, and Carol will reveal the social footprint and influence of those that have already shown you some love. And from there, Carol makes it easy to work with influencers, communicate and distribute products to them so you can pick the right influencers and create meaningful partnerships. To get started, you can visit getcaro.com or search for Carol in the Shopify app store, that's C-A-R-R-O, and discover which influencers already love your brand. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank you, a loyal listener of e-commerce Fastlane. It's my hope that this podcast is offering you a ton of value through growth strategies, tactics, and exclusive insider tips on the best Shopify apps and marketing platforms, all with my personal goal to help you build, launch, grow, and scale with Shopify. Thanks for investing some time today and listening to the show. I'm so proud and excited that you have a growth mindset and are a constant learner. I truly appreciate you and your entrepreneurial journey. Enjoy the rest of the week and keep thriving with Shopify.